Ryan. And I'm JP. And And we we are are Socially socially isolated. Isolated. Welcome to Socially Isolated. This is the podcast where we discuss different aspects of pop culture through the lens of something specifically Pacific Northwest. Each episode, we discuss pieces of art or culture that provide context to current events. Happy New Year, JP. Happy New Year. Are you someone who makes New Year's resolutions? I'm not really. I I usually try to hit the whole reset thing and just start all over again. But uh, I find that trying to do resolutions is my quick way for avoiding everything. (laughs) How about you? You know, I'm kind of an impulsive person. So I feel like when I decide I want to do something differently, I sort of start, do it right away. I don't necessarily need January to to jump on bandwagons. I can, I'll jump on bandwagons all year long. <laughs> I can kind of see that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so here in the Pacific Northwest, we were absorbed by the same major issues uh, as the nation, the 2020 elections. As we are recording this, we are just a couple of days away from the inauguration of our next president. We decided to take a look at two films that deal with two very different sides of the political process. And just a quick note here, we actually recorded this episode way back in October, but are just getting around to releasing it now. So you may hear a few comments that reflect what was happening back then before the presidential election and everything that's been going on ever since. This episode, we chose two films, the film Election, directed by Alexander Payne, and 13 Days, directed by Roger Donaldson. And JP, these were inspired by your picks. So why don't you tell us what drew you to these films in this moment? Yeah, so the Election was the first one that I had thought of when we were thinking about this uh, idea um, around uh, politics and the election. I had seen this movie years ago when it first came out. And in fact, I think it came out in like the early 2000s or the late 90s, give or take. Rewatching the movie, it definitely looks like it's that era, like shot in the 90s, maybe came out in the 2000s. And I hadn't really seen it uh, since. Uh, I may have, may have seen it once 10 years ago or so. And, and then, of course, uh, 13 Days was one that uh, I see often, you know, it's, it's put up uh, on different types of boards or, or uh, articles that are written about it, um, which is and focused around definitely the- 2000. So it, I didn't realize what close to what era they are. They're both in the same era. Is Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and looking at these as two sides of the same coin, one thing that struck me as an, an interesting uh, duality to, between them is that one of them plays as a parody of the kind of modern American political system, while the other one is a drama based on real events. Election for those of you who haven't seen it before, is a um, is a story about a presidential election at a high school. So this is you know low low key. It's not a high stakes politics. It's not house of cards. And um, there's a lot that happens in that that really kind of is poking fun at the things that happen in your uh, modern political uh, presidential debates and uh, runnings and candidates and so forth. There's sex scandals. There. There is uh, a lot of back deals, a a variety of different things like that. While 13 Days uh, plays out um, the events of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the 13 days leading up to the Cuban Missile Crisis, and looking at the the historical components of that and the things that happened inside of the White House. There are things that the public are just not privy to, but certainly the events that took place of uh, how to deal with it and so forth. 
So I know that election for you, you remembered differently and revisiting at this time, you were surprised by something. So uh, tell me, tell me some more about what, what caught you off guard. Yeah, I think one of the things that caught me off guard is looking at it through the lens of 2020. Um, right now, we are dealing with a uh, political campaign that seems to really have grasp the nation in a different way that we haven't seen in, in modern political times. And I think looking at that, the things that they are making fun of or that they are uh, poking at just feel like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that right now. You know, just, uh, you know, like I, I go to bed each night reading through all of the different things that are happening um, leading up to the November election. And I don't know if I if I am uh, ready to swallow that that humorous look at it, but there are also a, a couple of things in there that I am uncertain about uh, in regards to the way that they kind of uh, treat uh, both uh, underage minors as well as the way that they are looking at uh, the perspective of of this like hindsight to to build in um, a, a well you know it happened it's okay you know w without any sort of repercussion as to or remorse as to what happened um, to them in the movie. Certainly, the treating of Tracy Flick is interesting in the post-Hillary Clinton world, just seeing her as kind of ruthless and single-minded in her ambitions and seeing that as kind of tacky or gross um, and not something to be admired. It kind of, it, you know, walks a sort of a fine line on that, but definitely leaning on the side of, of her def not being a protagonist, yeah. which I think was is a little dated. This, But I sort of, um, I really like Alexander Payne. And um, I, I really want to just think this movie is brilliant in its satire, but somehow um, I also saw it when it first came out. And actually I was a lot younger then because it was, um, we'd have to double check, but we agree it's probably around 20 years old. And, and I remember thinking of it as what I would have considered kind of a gross out comedy. So I, I for some reason, clump it together with like something about Mary, just like the, these you know ones where people just get kicked in the balls a lot and and you just or or like what about bob you know where there's just a character that just gets the snot kicked out of them the whole time so one of my revisitations is it's not that at all matthew broderick is is you know by the end he does have a swollen face and he's you know uh, fired from his job and is definitely the loser but uh but it's it's not as straightforward as i remember it but that's what i also really wanted this movie to be 10 steps ahead that even if you're going to criticize it, it's because you don't get some aspect of it. And they're actually trying to make a point of you criticizing it. And I, I just don't know if it's as 10 steps ahead as I'd really like to give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, remind me later, we should talk about uh, the use of apples in, in that movie. I, I kind of agree with you there, Ryan, the, the aspects of it being ahead of its time or, or it could have been ahead of its time. I, I think are perhaps one of the reasons why I kept thinking about it. 20 years ago, JP perhaps thought about this movie in a different light uh, in comparison to today, JP, that is looking at this in the lens of, like you said, Hillary Clinton uh, in the in, in light of the Trump-Biden election. There are a variety of different elements that I feel like, I don't know if I'm ready to see that again or um, to 
to place a parody on what's happening right now. Now, in comparison to what happened in the movie 13 Days, where it shows, you know, a, a government that is uh, working on uh, collecting data and looking at how to use that data to make, you know, very distinct decisions that are important to a nation and to the world, I think is an important aspect that uh, definitely still sits well with me. Um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the way that it was portrayed, was looking at uh, trying to avoid the the escalation that was happening in Cuba with the nations. What happened behind the scenes uh, in order to get to the de-escalation of what would eventually become, would have become perhaps a third world war or a nuclear war um, is really fascinating and uh, definitely shows that there are things that happen that the government has to do or that the government is working on that we just don't understand or we don't know yet. And I think it's interesting to look at this as a lens of what will be uncovered right now during uh, 2020 as we're working through the global pandemic of COVID-19. What did the United States do and know and work through in order to resolve the the pandemic? Um, and what didn't it do? You know, the 13 days was not just a pretty picture of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but all the flaws and all of the, the mishaps um, on everyone. It's a very fascinating look and it reminds me now that in 20 years, in 50 years, Years, will we have a better picture of what happened to us now? Yes, as, a, as having grown up with the West Wing, when I started to vote, I sort of had this idea that I understood there was going to be a lot of deal making and sausage making behind the scenes, behind closed doors. And the idea was that you'd vote someone in that you could trust behind those closed doors. Like you understood you wouldn't be privy to everything. Um, and, and it was just a matter of whether you thought those decisions they're making without you knowing are ones that you trust them to to have a moral compass and and be surrounded by people that are are steering them in good directions. So this was definitely a film that brought that to light for sure of everything that's going on behind the scenes. And you either agree or you disagree, but um, that's that's what you're voting in is who's going to be orchestrating all this. Yeah. Did you find it interesting that uh, both of them are kind of like a um, a look at the past through the lens of kind of hindsight? Obviously, uh, 13 Days is rooted in, in a historical uh, documentation, but it's definitely looking at it through the lens of, of the past. While Election is uh, in the, the lens of the past because the voiceovers are actually talking about it in the present. It's almost like what they call like a past perfect or past future, you know, when they're, when people yeah. are, are saying like, so I go into the store and I tell the clerk, you know, they're saying it in the, the present tense, but they, it's already happened and it's acknowledged it's already happened. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. And also, um, you know, I'm sure really no one in the history of time has ever compared Kevin Costner's character to Matthew Broderick's character, but they're both like, neither of them are the president. Neither of them are running for office. They're both guys behind the scenes that are highly influential in the way that things play out. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, watching 13 Days and as you had said, uh, The West Wing, there's a lot of different uh, movies out there that play this light of the the person behind the shadows or, or the, the person that is the, the supporting um, individual playing this vital role. And, and I wonder just like how important are chiefs of staffs or advisors? No, he's and, not and the chief of staff. I, I don't think. I think he's just an advisor. This is oh, the really? Kevin Costner character. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, I think, I'm pretty sure he's, you know, and I'm always kind of curious about that. I think like Jared Kushner is technically like an advisor, like that is his his professional title. So, yeah. um, which also I, I think back on, for some reason, I just remembered that movie, um, uh, Dave with um, Kevin Klein, and mm. he brings in um, Charles Grodin is his, is his accountant and best friend. And when he's playing, steps in to play the president, he finds some reason to bring Charles Grodin in. And, and yeah. that's always been sort of an amusing aspect of the, of politics is that like, you find some role to be able to pay your friends and families to advise you, air quotes, you know. Um, but yeah, I think he's kind of just like a, a crony, but um, I could be wrong about that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if he actually held the role of chief of staff there, but your point is still taken. Looking at this from the same sort of like perspective, Ryan, did you uh, did you find any insights on 13 days that uh, you hadn't seen before in light of what's happening in 2020? Um, again, I, I mean, I was extremely disheartened just because I the level of rhetoric and process. I I have to admit, uh, I said I wouldn't talk about politics, but I uh, darkly just don't feel as is at that level that it would have been taken. Of course, this is a scripted film. It's highly polished. And, um, you know, so it is sort of dismal to think that like the idea of, of keeping Americans safe and, uh, keeping us out of war and, and these high stakes, things like that, that some oftentimes possibly at the risk of potentially appearing weak or like you're letting another power um, take the upper hand, but it's more important to avoid war. I do, I was, you know, a little discouraging when you see these highly scripted, dramatized versions of people trying to do better. Uh, it, it did not inspire me that <laughs> this is what's taking place behind the closed doors today. But as you say, time will tell. I, uh, no one would like to be more surprised than me that, that uh, those kinds of discussions are actually taking place. I do, as I think you kind of alluded to earlier, that we can't be sure how much of it is, is real. So I know that the film was came out after some documents were declassified and especially, you know, kind of 50 years on, it was easier to sort of reflect on um, what had happened with this you know, historical distance, but I'm, you know, we can't be sure that these discussions happened in the way that they did. So of course, with this is, the film was built in such a docudrama hour by hour style that I think it does sort of trick you into thinking that there were tapes and this is exactly how it went down. So I think we do need to remind ourselves that this is still largely speculative in how these backroom dealings took place. Yeah. So I know that the, you had noticed these apples in in election. So tell yes. me more about the apples. 
So I was trying to think back on uh, some of the other things that Alexander Payne has done in some of his other movies, uh, for instance, like in The Descendants or uh, Downsizing, which are two that really come to mind that are his uh, fairly recent works over the last 10 years. But in Election, he uses this motif of an apple uh, throughout the movie. There's uh, an apple that happens to show up um, right before something kind of diabolical happens or some sort of event that moves the plot forward. So for instance, uh, when uh, Matthew Broderick's character is going back to uh, the house of his friend, um, he is trying to get a hold of her. He can't see. So he goes to the backyard, is knocking on the door, and he gets stung by a bee at an apple tree. And um, when he is counting the election results, um, I believe there is an apple on his table. Like they, they always cut to the apple, not not directly, you know, right in front of you, but you know, it's in the background. It's you know above him or, or so forth. Um, it's a really interesting uh, element. Not so much just because he's using the, the physical apple itself, but the apple kind of as a representation in, in Christian teachings represents like the fruit of life that is you know you take a bite out of it and the innocence is lost. Um, the things that are, are untouchable, that are, are un, um, unobtainable, are consumed by that apple. Um, also, the apple is always a bright red color, um, which has itself kind of like this warning sign. Temptation. That, that is, yeah, temptation. It was something that I found very fascinating uh, looking through it. Um, it's kind of like the use of uh, other directors who use um, different characters. Ron Howard always uses his brother, Clint Howard. J.J. Abrams always uses uh, his good friends uh, in his movies. You know, th- there are these things that kind of like happen throughout. And I don't know if Alexander Payne had something like that in mind early on with uh, with Election. I'd have to go back and watch Sideways to see if he has a similar thing. or, or if he an did apple Sideways. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I immediately always think of Nebraska just because that, that one really stuck with me. And and I thought that one does an excellent job of, you know, kind of almost satirizing the the visit home and mm-hmm. you know going going home for a holiday and and everyone's watching TV and is just like oh hey and goes right back to watching their game and but <laughs> I mean all of his films I think you know have kind of that a cutting edge to them a, a dark side and there but then again they all have kind of iconic images I think of sideways of him running down the, the hillside holding that bottle of wine with you know his friend chasing after him he's really captured the American experience in, in a certainly in a very interesting way. And I think election fits into that, even if it hasn't, hasn't aged as well as some of the other ones. Uh, what I really appreciated, especially when I uh, saw this, it was kind of the beginning for me of understanding that that the narrative of movies or the the way in which uh, movies are are created can be done outside of the the normal focus of of a beginning, middle, and end, and that you need you know like the the soundtrack to crescendo and and to move you forward and so forth. The movie itself is you know shot fairly straightforward, but there are some really fascinating, you know, uses the uh, the narrative, for instance, you know, 
putting you into a different uh, perspective of uh, this done as kind of a hindsight going forward or going backwards. The uh, the use of music throughout the movie um, is only done at uh, certain points. There there isn't like this kind of continuous soundtrack that we see in movies these days where you score almost like every second of the movie, but rather it's just kind of let the silence happen of, of what's happening in the scene and then, you know, punch it at the end and then continue on and then punch it again and so forth. From that, you know, I, I think I really found it fascinating to later on throughout the next 20 years to see different movies and how some of those elements have, have expanded and contract and, and uh, explored different uses. Uh, someday we'll have to make a podcast on how uh, movies are cut and the, the perspectives of movies, you know, all the way back from like um, going to Dr. Strangelove or uh, Citizen Kane and so forth and, and, and forward. There's some really fascinating looks at the way that like, like uh, close-ups are used or the way that color is, is connected together. Yeah, and and as you're saying that the you know the way the editing works with the to to convey the narrator's perspective, and since election is narrated, I, um, you know you're oftentimes I feel like what the narration is is sort of at odds with what's happening in real life, just showing kind of a diluted perspective of of like the Matthew Broderick character. He's you know we can tell things aren't going well, and he's like I was thrilled. It was the happiest time of my life, and you're you know dubious. And actually, now that I'm sort of reflecting on that, I actually find that. Um, Tracy Flick seemed like a more reliable narrator to me. Like when she said things, I felt like it wasn't, she wasn't deluding herself in the same way the the teacher character was that when she said stuff, I believed that she actually felt that way. um, And and it wasn't clearly that at, at odds with what the reality was. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for today. So we like to end our show by providing a few additional items that we would have loved to have talked about, but just didn't have the time. This is our segment, Thoughts on Thoughts. So JP, what are some extra things you wanted to mention on the quick? There's one that, of course, that we talked about uh, throughout our discussion, which is the West Wing. Uh, I cannot get enough of it, and it's one that I kind of go back to. It's like a really good book that you, you're constantly dog-earing pages and uh, referencing back. I think especially right now in the, the time in which we are living in, uh, a lot of um, partisanship that is happening in American politics, it is nice to go back and see that even though there are disagreements, there are things that uh, still bring us together or that um, how the systems can still work themselves out, regardless of the fact that it's all fictitious and and what have you. Sometimes nice and comforting to see that people can work out their disagreements or have disagreements and still work together. And another one that I would recommend would be the American president, which um, as kind of like to combine the two together, uh, Martin Sheen plays a the president in the West Wing and plays the chief of staff in The American President. It's a uh, it's a kind of a cute little movie that uh, I would definitely encourage everyone to uh, to look back at. And I wanted to give a shout out to a Pacific Northwest set movie. Um, I think it's probably from 2000 six, seven, eight, somewhere in there called Grassroots. And it was based on a book by Grant Cogswell called Zion Check for President about um, that the book compares Grant's run for Seattle City Council with um, an ill-fated politician from I think like the 30s who um, 
I mean, that was just like a crazy story. Um, so, but the movie grassroots is just about Grant's run for city council. Um, it's, it's, if I remember it properly, it's, it leans more towards kind of rom-com lights. Um, you know, it, uh, it might be interesting to revisit it to see what kind of stands the test of time in terms of, of city council and, um, and, and Seattle politics. But, uh, uh, I imagine it's streaming. So if you haven't seen that local, local film, do check it out since it has to do with elections. And is also my PNW twist, since we do like to find, to, to bring this all back home and remind everyone that we are broadcasting from Tacoma, Washington. So that's both my suggestion and my, my local twist. Nice. Well, unfortunately, I don't have a, a PNW twist, but I would say that for anyone who is listening, both in the Pacific Northwest, but as well elsewhere, to uh, please get out there and vote. Um, your vote counts, and it is important that you uh, you take part in the election uh, and have your voice heard. And so I would encourage you all to look at your uh, local um, election offices and find out the, uh, the dates for either um, getting your ballot as well as uh, registering to vote. And that is it for this episode. You can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Indie Arts Voice. And I'm on Twitter at JP Avila. And again, as always, if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. And come back next time. Bye for now. Bye.